Chapter forty two of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty two. Illustrative of the convivial sentiment that the best of friends must sometimes part. The pavement of Snow Hill had been baking and frying all day in the heat, and the twain Saracens' heads guarding the entrance to the hostelry of whose name and sign they are the duplicate presentments, looked, or seemed in the eyes of jaded and footsore passers-by, to look more vicious than usual, after blistering and scorching in the sun, when in one of the inn's smaller sitting-rooms, through whose open window there rose, in a palpable steam, wholesome exhalations from reeking coach-horses. The usual furniture of a tea-table was displayed in neat and inviting order, flanked by large joints of roast and boiled, a tongue, a pigeon-pie, a cold fowl, a tankard of ale, and other little matters of the like kind, which in degenerate towns and cities are generally understood to be more particularly to solid lunches, stage-coach dinners, or unusually substantial breakfasts. Mr. John Browdie, with his hands in his pockets, hovered restlessly about these delicacies, stopping occasionally to whisk the flies out of the sugar-basin, with his wife's pocket-handkerchief, or to dip a teaspoonful in the milk-pot and carry it to his mouth, or to cut off a little knob of crust and a little corner of meat and swallow them at two gulps like a couple of pills. After every one of these flirtations with the eatables, he pulled out his watch and declared with an earnestness quite pathetic that he couldn't undertake to hold out two minutes longer. Tilly, said John to his lady, who was reclining half awake and half asleep upon a sofa, well john well john retorted her husband impatiently dost thou feel hungry lass not very said mrs browdie not very replied john raising his eyes to the ceiling here us say not very and us dining at three and lunching off pastry that aggravates a man instead of pacifying him not very uh, here's a gentleman for you sir said the waiter looking in a what for me cried john as though he thought it must be a letter or a parcel uh, gentlemen, sir, stars and garters, chap," said John. "What does the come and say that for, Wean? Are you home, sir? At home," cried John. "I wish I were. I'd a tea two hour ago. Why, well, I told the other chap to look outside the door and tell him correctly come that we were faint with hunger. In, Wean. Ah, the un, Mister Nickleby. This is nigh to be the proudest day of my life, sir. Ah, be all. We ding, but I'm glad of this." Quite forgetting even his hunger in the heartiness of his salutation, John Browdie shook Nicholas by the hand again and again, slapping his palm with great violence between each shake to add warmth to the reception. Ah, there she be, said John, observing the look which Nicholas directed towards his wife. There she be, we shan't quarrel about her now, eh? Ecod, when I think of that, but thou want some room to eat. Fall to, man, fall to, and for what we're about to receive no doubt the grace was properly finished but nothing more was heard for john had already begun to play such a knife and fork that his speech was for the time gone i shall take the usual license mr brodie said nicholas as he placed a chair for the bride take whatever the likes said john and when he's gone call for more without stopping to explain nicholas kissed the blushing mrs brodie and handed her to her seat ah say said john rather astounded for the moment make yourself quite at home will he you may depend upon that replied nicholas on one condition aye and what might that be asked john 
that you make me a godfather the very first time you have occasion for one. Eh, hey, do you hear that? cried John, laying down his knife and fork. A godfather, wha <laughs> till he here'll until a godfather. Didn't say a word more, you'll never beat that. Cashion for a godfather. Ha <laughs> ha Never was a man so tickled with a respectable old joke as John Browdie was with this. He chuckled, roared, half suffocated himself by laughing large pieces of beef into his windpipe, roared again, persisted in eating the same time, got red in the face, black in the forehead, coughed, cried, got better, went off again, laughing inwardly, got worse, choked, had his back thumped, stamped about, frightened his wife, and at last recovered in a state of the last exhaustion, with the water streaming from his eyes, but still faintly ejaculating, a godfather, a godfather, Tilly in a tone bespeaking an exquisite relish of the sally which no suffering could diminish you remember the night of our first tea-drinking said nicholas shall i ever forget it man replied john browdie he was a desperate fellow that night though was he not mrs browdie said nicholas quite a monster if you'd only heard him as we were going home mr nickleby you'd have said so indeed returned the bride i never was so frightened in all my life come come said john with a broad grin don't know us better than that tilly so i was replied mrs browdie i almost made up my mind never to speak to you again almost said john with a broader grin than the last almost made up her mind she were a coaxing and a coaxing a wheedling and a wheedling all the blessed way what didst thou let yon chap make up to thee for says i i deedn't john she says and squeegeing my arm you didn't says i no says she squeezing at me again lord john interposed his pretty wife colouring very much how can you talk such nonsense as if i should have dreamt of such a thing i didn't know whether you'd ever dreamt of it though i think it's like enough mind retorted john but thou didst it you're a feckle changeable weathercock lass says i not feckle john says she yes says i feckle dumb feckle do not tell me thou ain't after yon chap at schoolmasters says i him she says quite screeching ah him says i why john says she and she come a deal closer and squeeched a deal harder than she done afore dost thou think it natural too that having such a proper man as thou to keep company wi i'd ever take up with such a little scanty whipper-snapper as yon she says ha <laughs> ha she says whipper-snapper ecod says i after that name the day and let's have it over ha <laughs> ha nicholas laughed very heartily at this story both on account of its telling against himself and his being desirous to spare the blushes of mrs browdie whose protestations were drowned in peals of laughter from her husband his good nature soon put her at ease and although she still denied the charge she laughed so heartily at it that nicholas had the satisfaction of feeling assured that in all essential respects it was strictly true this is the second time said nicholas that we have ever taken a meal together and only the third i have ever seen you and yet it really seems to me as if i were among old friends well observed the auctionman so i say and i'm sure i do added his young wife i have the best reason to be impressed with a feeling mind said nicholas for if it had not been for your kindness of heart my good friend when i had no right or reason to expect it i know not what might have come of me or what plight i should have been in by this time talk about summat else replied john gruffly and didn't bother it must be a new song to the same tune then said nicholas smiling i told you in my letter that i deeply felt and admired your sympathy with that poor lad 
whom you released at the risk of involving yourself in trouble and difficulty but i can never tell you how grateful he and i and others whom you don't know are to you for taking pity on him ecod rejoined john browdie drawing up his chair and i can never tell you how grateful some folks that we do know would be likewise if they'd known i had taken pity on him ah exclaimed mrs browdie what a state i was in that night were they all disposed to give you credit for assisting in the escape inquired nicholas of john browdie not a bit replied the auctionman extending his mouth from ear to ear i lay there snug in schoolmaster's bed long after it was dark and nobody come nigh the place well thinks i he's got a pretty good start and if he bean't on by now he never will be so you may come as quick as you like and find us ready that is you know schoolmaster might come i understand said nicholas presently resumed john he did come i heard door shut downstairs and him walking up in dark slow and steady i says to myself take your time sir no hurry he comes to the door turns the key turns the key when there weren't nothing to hold the lock and calls out hello there yes i thinks you may do that again and not waken anybody sir hello there he says and then he stops lord better not aggravate me says schoolmaster after a little time i'll break every bone in your body smike he says after another little time then all of a sudden he sings out for a light and when it comes it cod such a holy burly what's the matter says i he's gone says he stark mad with vengeance have you heard naught yes says i heard street door shut no time ago heard a person run down there pointing the other way eh? help he cries i'll help you i says and off we set the wrong way <laughs> did you go far asked nicholas far repeated john i run him clean off his legs in quarter of an hour to see the old schoolmaster without his hat skimming along up to his knees in mud and water tumbling over fences rolling in ditches and bawling out like mad with his one eye looking sharp out for the lad and his coat tails flying out behind him spattered with mud all over face and all i thought i should have dropped down and killed myself with laughing john laughed so heartily at the mere recollection that he communicated the contagion to both his hearers and all three burst into peals of laughter which were renewed again and again until they could laugh no longer he's a bad un said john wiping his eyes a very bad un is schoolmaster i can't bear the sight of him john said his wife come retorted john that's tidy in you that is if it weren't along o you we shouldn't have knowed naught about it though knowed it first till he didn't know couldn't help knowing fanny squeers john returned his wife she was an old playmate of mine you know well replied john it's best to be neighbourly and keep up old acquaintance like and what i says is don't quarrel if you can help it do you not think so mr nickleby certainly returned nicholas you acted upon that principle when i met you on horseback on the road after our memorable evening ay surely said john what i say i stick by and that's a fine thing to do and manly too said nicholas though it's not exactly what we understand by coming yorkshire over us in london miss squeers is stopping with you you said in your note yes replied john tilly's bridesmaid and a queer bridesmaid she be too she won't be a bride in a hurry i reckon for shame john said mrs browdie with an acute perception of the joke though being a bride herself the groom will be a blessed man said john his eyes twinkling at the idea he'll be in luck he will you see mr nickleby said his wife it was in consequence of her being here that john wrote to you and fixed to-night 
because we thought it wouldn't be pleasant for you to meet after what has passed unquestionably you are quite right in that said nicholas interrupting especially observed mrs browdie looking very sly after what we know about past and gone love matters we know indeed said nicholas shaking his head you behave rather wickedly there i suspect of course she did said john browdie passing his huge forefinger through one of his wife's pretty ringlets and looking very proud of her she were always as skittish and full of tricks as a well as a what said his wife as a woman returned john dang but i didn't know what else comes near it you were speaking about miss squeers said nicholas with the view of stopping some slight connubialities which had begun to pass between mr and mrs browdie which rendered the position of a third party in some degree embarrassing and occasioning him to feel rather in the way than otherwise oh yes rejoined mrs browdie john has done john fixed to-night because she had settled that she would go and drink tea with her father and to make quite sure that there being nothing amiss and of your being quite alone with us he settled to go out there and fetch her home that was a very good arrangement said nicholas though i am sorry to be the occasion of so much trouble not the least in the world returned mrs browdie for we have looked forward to see you john and i have with the greatest possible pleasure do you know mr nickleby said mrs browdie with her archest smile that i really think fanny squeers was very fond of you i am very much obliged to her said nicholas but upon my word i never aspired to making any impression upon her virgin heart how you talk tittered mrs browdie no but do you know that really seriously now and without any joking i was given to understand by fanny herself that you had made an offer to her and that you two were going to be engaged quite solemn and regular was you ma'am was you cried a shrill female voice was you given to understand that i i was going to be engaged to an assassinating thief that shed the gore of my pa do you think ma'am that i was very fond of such dirt beneath my feet as i could condescend to touch with kitchen tongs without blacking and crocking myself by the contact do you ma'am do you oh base and degrading tilda with these reproaches miss squeers flung the door wide open and disclosed to the eyes of the astonished browdies and nicholas not only her own symmetrical form arrayed in the chaste white garments before described a little dirtier but the form of her brother and father the pair of wackfords this is the hand is it continued miss squeers who being excited aspirated her h's strongly this is the hand is it of all my forbearance and friendship for that double-faced thing that viper that, that, that mermaid miss squeers hesitated a long time for this last epithet and brought it out triumphantly as last as if quite clinched the business this is the hand is it of all my bearing with her deceitfulness her lowness her falseness her laying herself out to catch the admiration of vulgar minds in a way which made me blush for my for my gender suggested mr squeers regarding the spectators with a malevolent eye literally a malevolent eye yes said miss squeers but i thank my stars that my ma is of the same here here remarked mr squeers and i wish she was here to have a scratch at this company this is the hand is it said miss squeers tossing her head and looking contemptuously at the floor of my taking notice of that rubbishing creature and demeaning myself to patronise her oh come rejoined mrs browdie disregarding all the endeavour of her spouse to restrain her and forcing herself into a front row don't talk such nonsense as that have i not patronised you ma'am demanded miss squeers no returned mrs browdie i will not look for blushes in such a quarter said miss squeers haughtily 
for that countenance is a stranger to everything but ignominiousness and red-faced boldness i say interposed john browdie nettled by these accumulated attacks on his wife draw it mild draw it mild you mr browdie said miss squeers taking him up very quickly i pity i have no feeling for you sir but one of unliquidated pity oh said john no said miss squeers looking sideways at her parent although i am a queer bridesmaid i shan't be a bride in a hurry and although my husband will be in luck i entertain no sentiments towards you sir but sentiments of pity here miss squeers looked sideways at her father again who looked sideways at her as much to say there you had him i know what you've got to go through said miss squeers shaking her curls violently i know what life is before you and if you was my bitterest and deadliest enemy i could wish you nothing worse couldn't you wish to be married to him yourself if that was the case inquired mrs browdie with great suavity of manner oh ma'am how witty you are retorted miss squeers with a low curtsey almost as witty ma'am as you are clever how very clever it was in you ma'am to choose a time when i had gone to tea with my pa and was not sure to come back without being fetched what a pity you never thought that other people might be as clever as yourself and spoil your plans you won't vex me child with such airs as these said the late miss price assuming the matron don't missis me ma'am if you please returned mrs squeers sharply i'll not bear it and this hand dang it cried john browdie impatiently i say thee out fanny and make sure it's the end and do not ask anybody whether it is or not thanking you for your advice which is not required mr browdie returned miss squeers with laborious politeness have the goodness not to presume to meddle in with my christian name even my pity shall never make me forget what's due to myself mr browdie tilda said miss squeers with such a sudden accession of violence that john started in his boots i throw you off for ever miss i abandon you i renounce you i wouldn't cried miss squeers in a solemn voice have a child named tilda not to save it from its grave as for the matter of that observed john it'll be time enough to think about naming of it when it comes john interposed his wife don't tease her oh tease indeed cried miss squeers bridling up tease indeed he he tease too no don't tease her consider her feelings pray it is fated that listeners are never to hear any good of themselves said mrs browdie i can't help it i'm very sorry for it but what i will say fanny that times out of number i have spoken so kindly of you behind your back that even you could have found no fault with what i said oh i dare say not ma'am cried miss squeers with another curtsey best thanks to you for your goodness and begging and praying you not to be hard upon me another time i don't know resumed mrs browdie that i have said anything very bad of you even now at all events what i did say was quite true but if i have i am very sorry for it and i beg your pardon you have said much worse of me scores of times fanny but i have never borne any malice to you and i hope you will not bear any to me miss squeers made no more direct reply than surveying her former friend from top to toe and elevating her nose in the air with ineffable disdain but some indistinct allusions to puss and a minx and contemptible creature escaped her and this together with a severe biting of the lips great difficulty in swallowing and very frequent comings and goings of breath seemed to imply that feelings were swelling in miss squeers bosom too great for utterance while the foregoing conversation was proceeding master wackford finding himself unnoticed and feeling his preponderating inclination strong upon him had little by little sidled up to the table and attacked the food with such a slight skirmishing as his drawing fingers round and round the inside of the plates 
and afterwards sucking them with infinite relish, picking the bread and dragging the pieces over the surface of the butter, pocketing lumps of sugar, pretending all the time to be absorbed in thought, and so forth. Finding that no interference was attempted with these small liberties, he gradually mounted to greater, and after helping himself to a moderately cold collation, was by this time deep in the pie. Nothing of this had been unobserved by Mr. Squeers, who, so long as the attention of the company was fixed upon other objects, hugged himself to think that his son and heir should be fattening at the enemy's expense. But there being now the appearance of a temporary calm in which the proceedings of little Wackford could scarcely fail to be observed, he feigned to be aware of the circumstance for the first time, and inflicted upon the face of that young gentleman a slap that made the very teacups ring. "'Eating!' cried Mr. Squeers. "'Of what his father's enemies has left, it's fit to go and poison you, your unnatural boy.' "'It won't hurt him,' said John, apparently very much relieved by the prospect of having a man in the quarrel. "'Let him eat. Wish the whole school was here. I'd give him some to stay at their unfortunate stomachs if I spent the last penny I had.' Squeers scowled at him with the worst and most malicious expression of which his face was capable. It was a face of remarkable capability, too, in that way, and shook his fist stealthily. "'Come, come, schoolmaster,' said John. "'Didn't make a fool of myself, for if I was to shake mine only once, I'd fall down with the wind of it.' "'It was you, was it?' returned Squeers. "'That helped off my runaway boy. It was you, was it?' "'Me?' returned John, in a loud tone. "'Yes, it were me. Come, what of that? What me? Now, then?' "'You heard him say he did it, my child,' said Squeers, appealing to his daughter. "'You hear him say he did it?' "'Did it?' cried John. "'I'll tell you more, hear this too. "'If they'd got another runaway boy, I'd do it again. "'If they'd got twenty runaway boys, I'd do it twenty times o'er. "'And twenty times more that, I'll tell thee more,' said John. "'Now my blood is up that thou art a rascal, "'and it's as well for thou, though bester and olden, "'or I'd have pounded thee to the floor "'when thou told an honest man "'how thou licked that poor chap in coach.' "'An honest man,' cried Squeers with a sneer. "'Ah, an honest man,' replied John. "'Honest in aught, but ever putting legs under the same table with such as thou.' "'Scandal!' said Squeers exultingly. Two witnesses to it. Wackford knows the nature of an oath he does. We shall have you there, sir, rascal, eh?' Mr. Squeers took out his pocket-book and made a note of it. "'Very good, I should say. That was worth a full twenty pound at the next assizes without the honesty, sir.' "'Sizes!' cried john thou better not talk to me of sizes yorkshire schools have been shown up at sizes afore now mun it's a ticklish subject to revive i can tell thee mr squeers shook his head in a threatening manner looking very white with passion and taking his daughter's arm and dragging little wackford by the hand retreated towards the door as for you said squeers turning round and addressing nicholas who as he had caused him to smart pretty soundly on a former occasion purposely abstain from taking any part in the discussion see if i ain't down upon you before long you'll go a-kidnapping the boys will you take care their fathers don't turn up and send em back to me to do as i like with in spite of you i'm not afraid of that replied nicholas shrugging his shoulders contemptuously and turning away ain't you retorted squeers with a diabolical look now then come along i leave such society with my pa for ever said miss squeers looking contemptuously and loftily around i am defiled by breathing the air with such creatures poor mr brodie he i do pity him that i do 
he's so deluded that he he artful and designing tilda with this sudden relapse into the sternest and most majestic wrath miss squeers swept from the room and having sustained her dignity until the last possible moment was heard to sob and scream and struggle in the passage john browdie remained standing behind the table looking from his wife to nicholas and back again with his mouth wide open until his hand accidentally fell upon a tankard of ale which he took up and having obscured his features therewith for some time drew a long breath handed it over to nicholas and rang the bell here waiter said john briskly look alive take these things away let's have some embroiled for supper very comfortable and plenty of it at ten o'clock bring some brandy and some water and a pair of slippers the largest pair in the house and be quick about it dash my wig said john rubbing his hands there's no going out to-night to fetch anybody home and a cod will begin to spend an evening in earnest End of chapter forty two